Now, there are some messages in this life that we just really don't want to hear. I know growing up in my home, we would, my parents on, on every once in a while would kind of call for a family meeting. And so we'd gather together, and it was never for us to gather together to let them know, for to let us know how good we were doing as children. It was always to correct us and letting us know how we were all blowing it. It was a message that none of us wanted to hear. I remember when I was a really young teenager, my dad saying, hey, you want to go out for ice cream? Yes. Then when we got there, he began to share the truths of the birds and the bees, a message I did not want to hear especially from my dad. So I just did not want to hear it. Uh, men, you know, sometimes you might be at work and, and you might get a text from your wife. And if it says something like this, like, hey, honey, uh, we need to really sit down and talk about something when you get home. That's not a message you want to hear. I, I can almost guarantee it. Not that that's ever happened to me, but maybe to some of you. And um, so, so there are things that we don't want to hear. But the truth is, uh, sometimes we desperately need to hear them. For example, in our Christian life, sometimes we struggle with error in our belief and what we understand to be true about the Word of God. And we need somebody to come alongside of us and to be able to correct us in a loving way, as difficult as that might be. And sometimes we have sin and we're blinded to the sin in our life. We can't see it ourselves, but others can see it in us. And we're in desperate need of somebody coming in a loving way and pointing that out and letting us know that we're hurting ourselves in our relationship with God and with other people. And we need to hear it as painful as that might be. And so there are messages we don't want to hear, but sometimes we desperately need to hear them. That's exactly where Jesus' disciples found themselves here in chapter 9. What they found is Jesus began to speak to them in verse 18. There, Jesus said to him, he asked him a question. He says, who do people say that I am? And then they begin to answer in different ways. They say, well, some people think that you're Elijah. Some people think that you're John the Baptist. Others believe you're another prophet come back from the dead. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, got it right, finally. He got it right and said, the Christ of God, meaning you're the Messiah. You're the Savior of the world. This is good. This is the first time that the disciples have actually come to discover exactly who Jesus' true identity was. And so Jesus wants to keep pressing that issue. Now they know who he is that he is the savior of the world. They also need to know what kind of savior he was going to be. So in verse 22, he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Understand that when his disciples heard this, they didn't understand it at all. They had no way to be able to process this. They had never heard, as Jewish boys growing up, they knew that the Messiah would come, but they knew nothing about the Messiah suffering. He would actually come in and act suffering on their enemies, on the Roman uh, government, that he would overthrow the oppressive government so that his people would be set free. But this whole idea of a suffering servant, of a suffering savior, it made no sense to them whatsoever. It was a message they didn't want to hear, primarily because of what it meant for them. See, if the Savior came and threw off the oppression of the Romans, that means that his people would be rescued from pain and difficulty and suffering. But if Jesus came, their Savior came, and he suffered at the hand of their enemies, then this means that they too, as his disciples, would begin to suffer as well. It was a message that they didn't want to hear. It's a message that no disciple of Jesus Christ wants to hear. But all of us 
desperately, desperately need. And those are the two points right there. I just kind of laid them out for you. I actually uh, repeated them several times. Two messages or two verses or two points that we have this morning. First is this, is the message none of us want to hear. That message really is made up of two things. First of all, it's a message of self-denial. Look at verse 23. He says, And he said to them, If anyone comes or would come after me, the, the phrase come after literally means to attach oneself to, or another simple way is just to say to follow. Jesus is saying is, Any, anybody wants to be my disciple, anybody wants to come after me, follow after me, then he must do, the first thing he must do, first thing she must do is deny himself. He must deny himself. Now that Greek word that's translated deny himself is a strong Greek word. In fact, we see it in the passage where, where uh, Peter ends up denying Jesus Christ three times. Jesus had just been arrested. He had just been betrayed by Judas. He's arrested. And people begin to see Peter around town, if you will. And they begin to go, hey, he's one of the disciples of Jesus. And he vehemently denies, not once, but three times, Knowing Jesus or having anything to do with Jesus at all. That's the meaning that's used here in this text. But not of denying knowing Jesus, but denying rather our sinful desires, passions, and pursuits. He says, if you are going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then every day is going to be a fight to put to death sinful desires in your life, to put them away. And a believer in Jesus Christ, they understand that there is a whole nother group of desires that we have, desires that God has placed in our heart. When he saved us, he regenerated us. Anybody know what I'm talking about? In other words, he changed us. He changed our nature to be that we now desire to know God, now desire to know his word and his commands and to be able to follow his word and to obey him. And the believer in Jesus Christ now has all of these new desires for God, for the things of God, but he also knows the struggle within him. Because still what remains in him is that old self, that sinful flesh that still remains. And that means for every true believer in Jesus Christ, and if you're a believer, you know what I'm talking about, there is a perpetual battle that is raging within us between who we are in Christ and our desire to follow him and who we used to be, and that is the dead flesh that makes us want to disobey. It's a fight. And the command here is that you and I, every day, anybody that wants to follow him, is to deny the new self, to deny the old self and the old way of life. This isn't just a call to change a few things in our life. This call to discipleship is not for us to just sit there and say, hey, you need to quit drinking so much and you just need to stop using so many swear words. No, this is a radical departure from who we used to be. This is a call by Jesus Christ to no longer live our lives that we live, which was self-centered indulgence. Before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, it was all about us. It was all about what we wanted, what would bring us pleasure, what we thought would be of our best interest, of what we believe would be the most fulfilling. That's how we made our decisions in life. And he says, now that way of making decisions changes. It's no longer about your pleasure. It's about what ultimately pleases your heavenly father and your savior, Jesus Christ. Remember, when we talk about being a disciple of Jesus, and this is so important, we're not talking about just learning a bunch of Jesus' teachings. We're not talking about just teaching other people Jesus' teachings once we learn them. It's more than that. It's 
It's actually literally following the example that he has set. And one of the examples that he has set for us that is so evident is living a life of self-denial. One author said so rightly and so appropriately, Jesus calls us to deny ourselves. By doing this, we are following his example. And becoming a man, Jesus denied himself the glories of heaven. And fulfilling the law, he denied himself the pleasures of sin. And denying on, uh, dying on the cross, he denied himself protection from pain. Not just physical pain, but also the spiritual anguish of being forsaken by his father. Beloved, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, anyone who would follow after him, connect himself with Jesus Christ, must deny our sinful inclinations, our sinful thoughts, our sinful attitudes, and our sin, sin, sinful behaviors. Some of us who are sitting here, we've been believers for a long period of time. And the sad thing, and what I feel like I see sometimes, at least in the Christian culture here in the U.S., I can't speak for anywhere else, is that people have been battling for so long against that flesh that some are growing weary. That there are some who have done so many battles and overcome so many major sins within their life and even received victory in that, that they're not so concerned with what they would call lesser sins within their life. You may not care about what you call lesser sins, but your Savior cares about every one of them. He cares about that sin. He calls us to deny our, ourselves until the day of Jesus Christ. To keep fighting and keep wrestling and keep dying to self. Let me ask you this, this question. It, it's not, or let me say this. It's not just these sinful uh, uh, um, desires and pursuits and everything else that God has told us to put away. It's more than that. And this is what's important to understand. It's not just putting away things that we know are inherently sinful. It's putting away things that are not inherently sin sinful, but yet have become so for each of us. See, there are things and pursuits in our life that are not bad. Job, good. I don't care what the culture says. It's good to have a job. Well, people, please start working at some of these places so I can eat, right? <laughs> and so a job is good. Money is a, not a bad thing. It's good to be able to earn a paycheck. It's good to seek advancement. It's okay to go on a vacation and to be able to enjoy some leisure and some rest. Nothing inherently evil with all of these things until you and I take the majority of our time, our attention, our passions in pursuit of these things instead of spending that time, attention, passion for the pursuit of Jesus Christ, his purposes and the advancement of the gospel. That's when it becomes wrong. That's when it becomes sinful. Things that are not wrong. And yet we're in the good old US of A and I love our country and I love our freedom and it's okay to be a believer in Christ and love all that. But here's what I'll tell you. There is grave danger for all of us. And that grave danger is that we begin to think all of these are blessings for God and this is what God wants us to pursue. And it may be blessings from God, but he does not want it to be the pursuit of your life. And so here we say, what, what is it? Let me ask, what is it in your life, beloved, that you need to deny in order to follow Jesus? What sinful passions and pursuits still remain? What is it that intentionally might have been good at one time in your life and is okay and is not inherently evil, but the truth is in your life, it's become your life. It's become your attention. It's become your love. Your love. 
What is it that we have to deny to follow after Jesus Christ? Second thing that we see here, and it's a message that nobody wants to hear. They don't want to hear about denying ourselves. The second thing that we don't want to hear is to take up our cross. Now, when we hear that phrase, take up a cross, we probably immediately think of jewelry. Maybe taking a cross and putting it around our neck. Or we think of maybe a piece of art hanging a cross on the wall. Or, or, or maybe when we think of the cross, it's a good thing in that we are reminded of all that Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf. But what comes to your mind, in my mind, is nothing of what would have come to the mind to his original audience. When Jesus said to deny yourself and take up your cross... They would have thought and understood Jesus to be saying that we need to take up an implement of death. Some authors have said it would be no different than him saying, hey, to be able to take up your hangman's noose or to take up and carry your electric chair. It'd be no difference. He says when, when, when a soldier would come during that day and say, take up your cross, he meant to pick up the cross beam of that cross where you would walk to your certain suffering in death. So the question is, what does that mean for us? What does that mean to be able to pick up the cross? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. One thing that it doesn't mean is, is for you and I, he's not calling us to just undergird and, 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 and pull ourselves up by the bootstraps to be able to face faithfully all the difficulties that we face in life. You know, it's kind of like a mother-in-law. You know, your mother-in-law, she's just giving you a hard time. She's, she's, she's been spending too much time. Not my mother-in-law, by the way. I just want to make sure that we understand that for the record. She's a lovely woman. And so, so, all of this, we got all this problem. And, and really, my mother-in-law, man, she's just the cross to bear. No, that's not what they're talking about. Jesus isn't talking about the regular difficulties that everybody who lives on this earth faces from a day to day. He's talking about the suffering that comes directly from being obedient and pursuing and denying ourselves and following Christ. It's suffering for his sake. And he, this is what he ends up calling to. These are the things that we begin to see. You begin to follow Christ. He says, you must accept and embrace that you will suffer for me if you will be committed to me fully and completely. You will suffer. There's no other way. In what ways will we suffer? Well, maybe by rejection of family members. We want to uphold Christ. Now you're kind of want to get kicked out. Nobody really wants to do with you. You've lost your mind. It could be as well a loss of friendships. It could very well be chastisement to your classmates and your coworkers. It could be great loss, including your job and security. You know, it used to be that whenever I came to a passage like this, I didn't even know how to preach it. In fact, in fact it was embarrassing. I would get up and talk about the cost of following Jesus Christ and I would look at a bunch of Americans and understand there's really no cost in this country to be able to follow Jesus Christ. Now, some people would say, that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. I don't want persecution. I want to faithfully obey God because God, of what God has done for me. I don't want persecution here. But it doesn't take a genius to imagine how in the culture in which we live that it is only going to get worse and very much so you will be required to stand and suffer if you are going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I don't think it's going to happen. I think it is happening at this particular point. And he says, remember, at those times, you must remember that is necessary to be considered a disciple of Christ. 
You must suffer by denying yourself the things the flesh wants, and you must suffer by willfully following after Jesus Christ and being persecuted and being mistreated and being talked about and losing out, all of that for him. I think it's clear that what he's talking about here as well is he's not talking about something that we do every once in a while. And I think that's important. You know, remember when you first came to faith in Jesus Christ and you were ready to storm the gates of hell with a water pistol? Do you remember that? You're like, man, send me out there. I'll do anything. They're like, go tell, they'll share the gospel with that guy. He never, he'll never get saved. And you're like, okay, I'll do it. And you just go over and you don't care because you're in love with Jesus. He's not saying, hey, be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ when you first get saved. He's not saying, hey, be willing to suffer, uh, by the way, when you first get back from youth camp. A couple weeks there, you're going to be all jacked up and, and jazzed. Go ahead and be willing to suffer during that time. Or after a particular stirring message on Sunday morning, it's not that. He says, every single day. Beloved, every day, you and I, walking through day by day, denying the flesh of sin and sinful things and committing ourselves to even in the greatest of sufferings and even death to follow him as a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is the message that nobody wants to hear. To deny yourself and to pick up his cross. But there's a second part of this, and this is why we desperately need to hear it. If Jesus is going to convince us that we need to do what he calls us here to do, all very, very painful all very difficult to do, especially apart from the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, in fact, impossible to do without, then he probably needs to give us some pretty good reasons of why we need to do it. And he does. He gives us three reasons in three verses, in verses 24, 25, 26, and each one begins with four. Look at this. First of all, why should we deny ourselves, pick up the cross, and follow after Christ? Because it depends on, it, it determines the loss of life. Life is at stake. Look at verse 24. For whoever would save his life. Now understand, when he says whoever would save his life, what he means is specifically anyone who wills to save his life. Anybody who wants to save this life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it mean when he says whoever would save his life? What does he mean by that? Well, one particular author, Leon Morris, I think he describes it well. He says, one who puts his emphasis on getting the best out of life for himself. That's somebody who's trying to save his life. He says, I got one life to live. I'm going to live it to its fullest, to its greatest satisfactions, to its greatest fulfillments. I'm going to get as much as I possibly can. My goal in life is to acquire as much wealth, maintain as much health, and achieve as much satisfaction as is humanly possible. They are willing to work hard. They're willing to sacrifice. They're willing to even suffer. But they're only willing to do it if it's advantageous for themselves, if they get something out of it. If it's about suffering and working and doing without and getting the raw end of the stick for the advancement of the gospel or for the sake of Jesus Christ, they have no interest whatsoever. And what this ultimately shows that he's telling us is what it ultimately shows is that they were never in the faith because their love is for the things of the world rather than for Christ. And so we see here, it says, what does he do? He says that anybody who wants the most out of life to, 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 for their own personal gain, he says they're going to lose that life. But there are those who lose their life and ultimately gain it. Why does that look like? Well, it's for those who give their time, their talents, their comforts, their securities in this world, not for personal gain, but for the glory 
of Jesus Christ. This is for those who would actually look, for a believer to actually live as a disciple of Christ in many ways, looks like a loser in the light of the world. They look like a loser because they're spending all of their time in things that the world doesn't see how can ever benefit them. They're seeing them spend money, but they don't understand how that money is ever going to benefit them. This is one of the things that we see. I think that God is calling and working in the hearts of many of you to go and be in ministry and go and, and be on the mission field. And I've talked with several of you and some of you have been working on it. it. Let me tell you one of the greatest challenges that you are going to have the day that you say, okay, let's do this. I'm all in. Let's go. Let's take the gospel where it is not. One of the greatest challenges you're going to have is your family members, your Christian family members. Because many of them are going to look at you and they're going to think, what a waste. What a waste for you to throw all this away, all this occupation and all this. You could have been so much. What a complete waste. What Jesus is ultimately saying is, this is no waste at all. This is an insanity. This is sanity. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 16, it says, and, and he told, Jesus was telling a parable, and he said, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do for now, for, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample good laid out for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. This is the type of person who's trying to save his life. To get the most out of it, God's response to that individual, fool. This night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich towards God. It's a loss of life. It's also a loss of soul. Look at second, the second four in verse 25. He says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? There's an old phrase. Some of you are probably familiar with it. It says, he who dies with the most toys still loses. Yes, that's not what the bumper sticker says. It says, still wins or wins, not still wins. Now you've messed me up. Why did I ask? <laughs> he who has the most toys when he dies wins. And again, that may be great slogan for a bumper sticker, but it's a horrible slogan for life. The life, And this is what God is saying. What he's doing is he's going back to the person that we just talked about, the person who is living for this life, trying to save his life. He says, what ultimately happens to this individual if he gains everything that he's trying to earn? Just, just imagine, whatever you're trying to earn right now, wealth, prosperity, advancement, prestige, whatever it is, what happens at the end of your life if you get every single bit of it? If you gain the entire world, everything that your heart is craving after, what happens at the very end? The question is, is all of that worth losing your very soul? Is all of that losing your very soul? Because what Jesus is saying is that is precisely what will happen for anyone who does not live in a way that denies themselves and promotes the person of Jesus Christ. The one mark of an individual that he first said was those who, so, so we understand that in the U.S. again, all of this is kind of taking place. This is completely opposite of the way that we would ultimately think. 
Materialism is gra- gra- grasping us. Again, many of those who are going to be called out uh, to, to missions, the, the, greatest, the greatest problem, again, is going to be people trying to convince you otherwise. But I'll remind you of the words of Jim Elliot. He says that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The third thing, loss of heaven, verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him with the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now, this is what lets us know for sure that this life that he's talking about is eternal life. We know it for sure. This is how we understand because Jesus Christ is coming again. Let me reset. Jesus Christ is coming again. And when he comes, he will come to judge the living and the dead. That means every person who has ever existed will be judged, the living and the dead. And one of the marks that we've seen so far of the person who is, 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 is living himself, not a disciple of Jesus Christ, is that they live for the things of this world. Here's the second mark of that individual. They are ashamed of Jesus and his word. We're gonna find out who are disciples of Jesus Christ real quick in this country. We're finding out really quickly who is actually gonna speak up, speak the truth in love of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and who is gonna remain silent. And those who remain silent and say nothing are proving that they're all in for this world because they want the applause of the world, they want an easy life, they don't want any difficulty, they just wanna keep their head down. And the truth is what he's saying is that person is demonstrating they are ashamed of Jesus Christ to be able to speak up for his truth. And it's a dangerous place to be. The Bible warns us in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 33, but whoever denies me before men, I, will, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. What terrifying words. How terrifying this must have been actually for his disciples himself. Short time after this, you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna do this very thing that Jesus warned of. They're gonna be ashamed of Jesus. When he goes to the cross, they don't stand by him. They abandon him. They flee, they go away. And what do they do? They're ashamed. They don't want nothing to be able to do with him. They deny him. And the reason that this is so troubling in that story is because many of us have done the same. We can look in our own lives and we know, we know in our heart of hearts when we're embarrassed of Christ. Never admit it, but we're embarrassed. Right now, great time to be able to share the gospel, we think. I'm gonna look like a fool to be able to do it. Great time to be able to share the gospel. I may, no, no, I may get reprimanded by somebody for sharing the gospel. And we're afraid and in essence, there's, an ashamed, there's shame there. Philip Ryken writes, we are too timid to speak a word in his defense or take a stand on a moral issue. We are afraid to read our Bibles or, or pray in public. If we are so ashamed of Jesus, will he not also be ashamed of us? One of the, one of the greatest dangers, I think, of what I'm reading here is that So many of us may read this and we may be confused and maybe you're asking the question, well, what does this mean about salvation? What does this mean? Does this mean that I'm saved? If I'm guilty of these things, does it mean I'm saved or or, or what? Because the truth is I am ashamed of him sometimes and the truth is many times in my life I am pursuing the things of this world and not of God. Am I a believer or am I not? Here's always the response to that. It depends on how you respond to the message. If you continue on, you can have absolutely no confidence that you were in the will of God, that you are born again, that you've been changed, transformed in the image and likeness of Christ. If you repent of that sin, 
then you can have affirmation once, once again that you love Jesus more than the things of this world, which is a clear evidence of somebody who is in the faith. Somebody who is in the faith. You know, the problem with this message is, I can imagine, I'm not on social media, so I don't read anything about what anybody says about me. And it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> I just don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. But the truth is, is that, that I could preach this message and what I'd be so fearful of is that somebody thinks that I'm preaching legalism and a works-based gospel. That they're sitting there going, hey man, the only way to be able to get to heaven is for you to deny yourself enough sinful things. Or they might be thinking, hey, the only way to get to heaven is if you suffer enough for the purpose of Jesus, then you'll somehow earn right standing with him and salvation. Please understand, if you've heard nothing else, I am not saying that at all. These are not ways to salvation. These are, uh, this is a life from salvation. We live this life denying ourselves and picking up the cross, not because we're trying to earn his favor, earn forgiveness. It's because we've already graciously received it. We've been given it. And because of that, in our way of expressing our love for him, we can say no to fleshly things. We can say no to the cares of the world, the things of this world, and we can even suffer for Jesus Christ's sake. You know what this really is, this sermon, more than anything else? It's an act of God's grace. You think it's all about legalism? It's all about God's grace. Because what he's trying to do is he's trying to call so many who sit there and you call this place home, you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, there is no different, my friend, in you, and I say this in all love and humility, there is no different of your life and the way that you are living in your pursuits than a lost pagan individual. The only difference is you attend here. And it is God's mercy and his grace that calls out to you and says, you may very well not be in the faith. It's a message we don't want to hear, but one we desperately need to. And so if you're here this morning, call out to God. God, I've been to, and here's the struggle that I've had all week. Like I preached this to myself first. Here's how it is. I sit there and go, God, the truth is, I believe I'm in the faith. I believe ultimately I want you. I know that's an act of grace in me. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. Most of my life is defined that way. But the truth of the matter is, I spend entirely too much time thinking of things that are not eternal. Too many things that are worldly. God, help me in the power of the Holy Spirit to deny myself in those things and to live for a greater cause and a greater glory. And it's not the glory on this world, but the glory to come in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you and we praise you. And God, you are a good and awesome God. And Lord, I, I hate that I might be misunderstood this morning. And I pray that I am not. I pray that no one thinks that they just need to do better. This is not a do better sermon. This is for us to examine, to see if we are truly in the faith of God. Does our, word, does our life line up? Does it line up? with the clear teachings of what you yourself has taught. God, grant us the grace to do so. In your precious name we pray, amen.